Tennessee football moved the needle for several 2024 prospects this past weekend. What's to come for the volunteers and how much work do they still need to do? We're going to talk some Tennessee recruiting and a whole lot more here on your Wednesday Locked On Balls. You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome into it. This is Locked on Vols. I am your host, Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys hanging out with me each and every day like you do, making Locked on Vols your first listen and for subscribing wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, on the YouTube channel. That's Locked on Vols. This episode is brought to you in part by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. That's with FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to go ahead and get started. Got a fun show coming up today. We're, we're not going to waste any time here because I got a lot to get into. Matt Ray told you on Monday's episode that I was going to try to get him on. My colleague at VolQuest.com does an awesome job uh, covering recruiting. Uh, going to get him on here to talk some Tennessee recruiting and what Tennessee did this past weekend. We got Ward Wednesday coming up in segment number three. In segment number two, another NFL mock draft. Hendon Hooker. Top ten. What? Could that happen? We'll discuss. That's uh, that is all your uh, your Wednesday rundown here on the show. So it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Without further ado, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Matt Ray on Tennessee recruiting from this past weekend. Matt, you look at Tennessee recruiting this past weekend. Really big weekend for the Volunteers. A lot of recruits, a lot of prospects, and their families on hand to take in Tennessee's first uh, full padded spring practice. I'm going to throw a couple of names at you. Let's start with the quarterback target, Jake Merklinger. Feels like Tennessee had a, had a pretty good weekend with him and moved the needle a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think if you're Tennessee, you couldn't have asked for more um, from this weekend with Jake Merklinger. You need to get him back to campus. He, he's gone on his visits here in the month of March, which he told everybody he was going to do in February, and the Vols were, you know, that last visit for the month. So, you know, he was able to – sit down, get a lot of one-on-one time with Josh Heupel, Joey Halsley, and really get some questions answered. And I, and I think for Jake, he his recruitment's very interesting because the schools recruiting him all have a lot of different things to offer him. You've got long-term relationships at Michigan State. You've got Georgia, who doesn't quite feel like as much of a factor right now, but they're the home state school, and they've offered, and there's at least some new interest there under new offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. You've got the Vols, who, you know, is the offensive recruiting, they're probably the most quarterback friendly. Um, and he, he has strong relationship with Josh Hopple and Joey Halsey. And then you've got who I believe is the primary competitor for Tennessee in this one, North Carolina. And, and Jake has a strong relationship there with Mac Brown and the staff. And, and there's some opportunity there. But for Tennessee this weekend, I, I think they, you know, answered the questions that he needed answered. And now, for, for Jake Merkler, we see what happens next. You know, and I talked to him on Saturday night, and it was pretty late, and they were on their way back home to Savannah. And, and my biggest question for you, Jake, was what's next? You know, he, he's flirted with the possibility of doing official visits. Will he take some more unofficial visits? What What's next for Jake Merkler? Does he go home to sit down with family and, and push towards a decision, or does he get back out on the road? Because if he gets back out on the road, then – you know, I think all of these schools are in play. If he goes home and and works towards a decision, I think this comes down to Tennessee and North Carolina with with both schools probably feeling pretty confident. 
It's kind of interesting too, because when you, I mean, Tennessee's in a position now to where at the majority of their positions, they're not pushing the immediate, Hey, you can come in here. And it was never, it was never guaranteed, but it, they're not pushing the, Hey, you can make an impact early. Hey, you can make an impact early. Cause Tennessee's rosters kind of built up for Merklinger or any quarterback in this class um, that Tennessee's recruiting. It, it's almost a tough sell in the sense of, okay, you know, what came in before you, that being Nico, but still stability, quarterback coaching and there's still going to be opportunity at some point still a lot of things that are appealing for a guy like Mark Linger or any other quarterback coming after Nico Iamaliava yeah absolutely I mean the the development you know I think with with Tay, you look back at Taven Jackson look at the development that he got in the year that he was here and you've already heard him talk about that in his time in Indiana he doesn't discount any of that you know if he wasn't going to go in and start somewhere as a true freshman why not get that development and then go, you know, find a home, which he did. But for Jake Merkler, I don't think there's any, you know, there was a narrative out there for a while that maybe he didn't want to follow Nico Iamaliava or he didn't want to go to, a, you know, a quarterback room that might have two guys in it in this class, you know, like Georgia where you know, Ryan Puglisi's committed and they're after another guy. So, you know, for me, I don't think that, I don't think that's true with Jake Merkler. I think he's, a fierce competitor. He's a three-sport athlete, does a lot of different things, and I, I think he thinks wherever he goes, he can compete. Um, but like you said, Eric, it, the Tennessee offense offers a lot to whoever comes in behind Nico Iamaliava. There's going to be chances. We've talked about it a lot on the Rocky Top Rewind and the chat. You know, Brent's brought it up a pretty good bit. It's going to be hard to carry three really good scholarship quarterbacks yeah. in this new age, new era of college football. So there's going to be opportunity for guys, you know, regardless of where they go. And I look around, you know, as spring practice starts, and I forgot that Jaden Rashada was at Arizona State. But he's out there and he's going to have every opportunity, um, you know, to play ball. So I, I think guys are going to just have to find what's best for them long-term development-wise and go from there. And I think Jake's in a very unique situation and, and you know, weighing out his recruitment process. So Jake Merklinger, one of the top targets on campus this past weekend. Let's talk about a couple of commitments Tennessee's already gotten, but this weekend critical in not reevaluating things, but maybe reaffirming some things. Cornerback Caleb Beasley, one of the top cornerback prospects in the country, and tight end Jonathan Eccles, uh, both early commitments for Tennessee. Eccles in particular had to get up here and meet Alec Avelin, the tight ends coach. First time he's been here since the departure of Alex Golish. How did the weekend go for the Vols in regards to two of their commitments for the class of 2024? Yeah, I think, you know, exactly what you said. Tennessee was able to reaffirm some things. You know, Jonathan Eccles will start there. He he was able to get back up here, get that FaceTime with Alec Ablin, see practice, and Jonathan Eccles was really engaged. Everywhere the tight ends moved, he moved alongside them at his viewing distance and was able to, to keep an eye on what they were doing, watched how they went through drills, watched how Alec Ablin taught, you know, what he expected of his players. So I think he wanted to see some of that. He had seen that with Alex Golish. He committed to Tennessee um, after camping, you know, and, and having some one-to-one some -one instruction from those guys. He, he committed to Tennessee after that. So he understood that from Alec, Alex Golish. Now he had a chance to see that with Alec Ablin, and I think that helps Tennessee a lot. You know, when the hire was made to talk to Jonathan, and he he already knew Alec Ablin. 
you know, so that that gave him some comfort, you know, in and of itself. And I think the two have continued to, to build a strong relationship. And I like where Tennessee left the weekend with Jonathan Eccles. Other schools are going to continue to come for him. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you, I don't know how many of them wanted to play tight end. And yeah. he wants to play tight end. You know, now does that narrative change? between now and in October, maybe, because if Jonathan Eccles stays firmly committed to Tennessee, which it appears that he's going to, then he's going to have official visits hanging out to use, right? So, you know, are these schools going to try to sell him to get, hey, come to campus, we want to have more in-depth discussion with you about playing tight end? Maybe, but you don't know that that's going to happen. And those schools can't bank on that either. So for me, I think Tennessee left the weekend in a good spot with Jonathan Eccles. And then Caleb Beasley, you know, a guy, a long-time commitment, committed last season uh, after one of his games on the road, you know, late night, Friday night commit. But it was big for Tennessee nonetheless. Tennessee had a chance to evaluate Caleb Beasley, watch him. He'd been to camp. He's been to campus. A guy that they liked, the, you know, his length and everything that he can do. This weekend he got back up with family. He was able to have a good time. You know, one of the first things that I heard Caleb Beasley walk by me and say was, oh, we got Jake here this weekend. So he, you know, put his peer recruiting hat on, and I think that helped Caleb Beasley a lot this weekend. He's going to take, you know, maybe another look at Notre Dame, and they're on him hard. They have been for a while. Uh, Marcus Freeman thinks really highly of him and talking to folks. Um, you know, at that defensive back position, Caleb Beasley is graded out as high as any defensive back on their board right now. So they really, they really like Caleb Beasley. Um, but you know, we'll see if it goes anywhere after that. He's going to give Notre Dame a look, you know, mainly out of some respect. But the Vols, you know, I think did a lot of things well for him and are still perfectly fine with Caleb Beasley. Out the door, I want you just to hit on just briefly uh, a couple of in-state prospects, a couple of linemen, Jesse Perry. You got Ronan O'Connell and then wide receiver Amari Jefferson, some top targets in the state of Tennessee who are also on hand this weekend. Yeah, we'll start with Amari Jefferson, right? I think he's the guy that everybody wanted to know about coming into the weekend. And Tennessee Tennessee showed as well as you could have for Amari Jefferson, in my opinion. I, I think Kelsey Pope did an excellent job with him. They showed him a lot of attention. He, he felt like he got everything that he needed answered. He went down to the baseball game. He saw that. Um, he's shifting to be more of a football prospect, but baseball still something that in his mind is a big deal and, and could end up being a big deal down the line. We'll see where that goes. But, you know, George is in that. Clemson's trying to stay in that. He, he He's going to take some other visits, but, you know, he's already hinting around that he's going to release his top 12. When I talked to him probably a month ago, he stuck to the same timeline that he told me that he wanted to stick to, and that was a part of it, was getting to that top 12 shortly after his March and April visits. Um, so so we'll see. It feels like Tennessee, Georgia, the two primary competitors in that one right now with some others trying to circle and, and get in there for Amari Jefferson. Uh, Ronan O'Connell, a guy that Tennessee has continued to do a good job with. He's connected well with Glenn Ellerby and the support staff there. He, he likes everything that he sees from that group when he's around them. Um, we'll see what happens with Ronan O'Connell. He's a guy that he could go, you know, see a couple of schools and start working towards a decision quickly, or he could wait closer to his season. Uh, Notre Dame, getting to Notre Dame is a priority for him. He wants to get up there. He wants to see that. There's a, a little bit of attraction there. 
for him. His dad is a no, you know, grew they grew up Notre Dame fans. Um, not so much Ronan, but I think he wants to see that and see if an offer comes about there. And then he'll see Wisconsin officially is one thing that he told us this week. He it's hard for him to make that trip up there, so he wants to fly up, see more of Wisconsin. He feels like that staff's done enough to earn an official visit from it, and he'll be back to Tennessee for an official visit at some point. It feels like the Vols are in a good spot there with him. And then, again, Jesse Perry, you know, Tennessee joined the offer party, you know, pretty quick for him as it started to happen. Um, we, we got another good look at him this weekend. I saw him a couple of weeks ago at the Under Armour camp in Atlanta. I thought he looked really good. Yeah, I told his dad, I said, I think he looks bigger this time around. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but in the, I said, I feel like he's grown and he um, he's a good looking prospect on the hoof. And he, he doesn't seem like he's in as much of a hurry to me. The recruiting process is pretty new. Him and his family are very engaged in it. They're going to see some places. They're going to make some trips. But Tennessee's definitely in the thick of it. And whenever the time comes for him, for Jesse Perry to make a decision, the Vols, you know, will more than likely be a strong contender for him. There's just a ways to go there, in my opinion. A lot of great stuff from Tennessee recruiting this past weekend. And a couple of big weekends coming up. Recruiting never stops. And it's a big time here with spring practice. Catch all that coverage over at VolQuest.com. Awesome price. And our guy right here, Matt Ray, co-workers of mine. Matt, appreciate it as always. Give Matt a follow on Twitter as well, at Matt underscore Ray underscore. Matt, appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, Eric. Good stuff there from Matt Ray, always. He's uh, really, really good. He's, he's uh, He has a passion for covering recruiting. Does an awesome job for us over at VolQuest.com. Really enjoy working with him. If you're not following on Twitter, you need to. Go ahead and give him that follow. Um, I said it in the interview, but I think it's like at Matt underscore Ray underscore. Give him a follow there. Hey, when we come back, latest NFL mock draft from Mock Tannenbaum. Some really interesting stuff regarding Tennessee players going into the NFL draft, including Hendon Hooker. You don't want to miss this. That's coming up next right here on Locked on Vols. But uh, a proud sponsor of the show that we really want to give a whole lot of praise to. That is FanDuel Sportsbook. The tournament, that's March Madness, heating up. Final Four coming up later this week. And no better place to get in on all that action than FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. That no-sweat first bet, that's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. It's up to $1,000. Good stuff. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net when it's all said and done. All safe and secure on a simple-to-use app that is FanDuel Sportsbook. So don't waste any more time. Don't miss your shot. Go to uh, go to No Sweat First Bet, and you can win up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. All right, guys, welcome back into it. Your Wednesday edition of the show that is Locked on Vols, and I am Eric Kane at underscore Kane on Twitter at Locked on Vols. We discuss Tennessee football and Tennessee recruiting and sports and basketball and baseball, whatever you guys want, uh, right here on Locked on Vols every single day, weekday, for 30 minutes or maybe a minute or two more. I'm, I'm very rarely under 30 minutes. I'm not going to lie to you. All right, so Mike Tannenbaum, former Vice President of Football Operations for, I want to say, the Ravens, maybe. Former New York Jets General Manager. 
Um, he's been an ESPN reporter for quite some time as well. He did a mock draft, another mock draft over at ESPN.com. Got some fun football topics to get into as the week goes on, but this is the one I wanted to talk with today. Kind of sandwich it in the middle of some interviews. Um, but Mike Tannenbaum, and he, he gave his first-round mock draft, but he gave a little ca- caveat in there, okay? He said, quote, I'm giving it another go with a twist on the traditional mock draft style. Draft analyst mocks are true projections of what they believe will happen based on what they're hearing. My colleague, Mel Kuyper Jr., just unveiled his latest mock draft this past week. But I'm going in a different route. I'm going in a different direction with my third annual GM mock. I'm sliding into the general manager's chair for each team with a first rounder and making my own pick. This isn't what I'm expecting, but rather how I'd personally approach each day one selection. And what follows is based off my own evaluations, preferences, and philosophy. So I think that's really, really important here because if you're like me, you saw the tweets, you had your friends texting you, um, you saw the chatter about, oh, Mike Tannenbaum has Hendon Hooker as a top five pick, yada, yada, yada. Like, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And, and that's not going to happen, uh, in my opinion. Who's to say if he won't be picked in the first round? He might. He really, really might. But I, 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 I don't really even think he'll be picked in the first round, and I certainly don't think he'll be picked in the top five. But I did think that was an important caveat in there. Mike Tannenbaum, the former NFL general manager, says this is a general manager's mock, a GM mock, and this is how I would do it, how I would do it if I was drafting in the first round. So with that being said, a lot of love for the University of Tennessee. Boy, oh, boy. Um Let's see here. Let me get my little control F guy. All right, Tennessee. Got it typed in. So you look at the top five, and you see the the usual suspects of names here. Bryce Young, one, Carolina Panthers. Okay, that could happen. CJ Stroud, two, the Texans. Okay, that could happen. Maybe they could flip those picks. Um, you know, in terms of Stroud going to Carolina and, and Young going to Texas. Um, Will Anderson Jr., the best non-quarterback in the draft, being drafted the third overall to the Cardinals. Okay, that makes sense. Will Levis, fourth to the Colts. As a Titans fan, sign me up. <laughs> I'd much rather have Will Levis than uh, than uh, Lamar Jackson. Am I right? Uh, as a as going to a divisional rival. Um, but again, I don't agree with Will Levis. But he's going to be picked in the top ten. That's for sure. And then you get to number five, and you have the Seattle Seahawks in this mock draft. Okay, you have the Seattle Seahawks. And that's where Hendon Hooker comes in. All right, and this is what he says about Hendon Hooker. He says, okay, quote, okay, this one might raise some eyebrows, but hear me out. I think Hooker is really underscounded right now, largely because he's coming off a torn ACL in his left knee. But I love his strong arm and a six foot three frame. Before the injury, Hooker looked great for the balls. He led the nation in yards per attempt at 9.5 yards threw two interceptions over 11 starts and was a top 10 passer in terms of completion percentage at 69.6%. I see a potential franchise quarterback and someone who can lead an offense. Go watch his performance go watch his performance against Alabama if you disagree. He goes on to say, the Seahawks recently re-signed Geno Smith, but this is an excellent opportunity to draft and develop Hooker while also letting him rehab the knee. Smith turns 33 this season, and his new contract offers Seattle various outs over the next three seasons. Hendon Hooker to Seattle has been a trendy pick. I'm not saying it's going to happen in the first round, but Hendon Hooker to Seattle. I even mentioned it earlier this week, um, I believe. in turn, I think it was on Twitter Tuesday in that segment when... I was asked, what's the dream scenario for Hendon Hooker? And I think I mentioned Seattle and Geno Smith there. I think it makes so much sense. I really do. Now, will he go at number five? No, he won't. And even Mike Tannenbaum, excuse me, 
uh, says that here. He said, this might raise some eyebrows, but this is what I would do because I like him a whole lot. That's some high praise there. That is some that's some really high praise there for Tennessee's quarterback, Hendon Hooker. Um, I'm not sure if you will ever see another mock draft. You have it to date, and you, will, you probably won't leading up to the NFL draft of Hendon Hooker being in the top 10. One of my buddies texted me and said, wow, Mike Tannenbaum's got uh, Hendon Hooker 5. And I'm like, well, yeah, he's largely been viewed as, for the most part, as the fifth best quarterback in this draft. And he said, no, no, he means five overall, fifth overall. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? And so I checked it out. But then I read up top, and again, this is kind of a different type of spin on a mock draft. But still, some high praise there. Hinton Hooker, fifth overall, according to Mike Tannenbaum, to the Seattle Seahawks. You go on, and I mean, there's there's other routine names here in the top ten that we've seen in another mock draft. Tyree Wilson, six to the Lions. Christian Gonzalez, seven to the Raiders. Miles Murphy, eight to the Falcons. Peter Skronowski, the offensive lineman for Northwestern, to the Bears. You go to 10, you got Broderick Jones, who is largely considered probably the first or second offensive tackle off the board to the Eagles. And then you get to number 11 as a Titans fan. I'm going to say this. He has Anthony Richardson going to Tennessee at 11. Yikes, I don't want that. Although I, I recognize... He's got such high potential and such a high upside. I get that. Uh, But then you go down to number 14. Number 14 is where the New England Patriots are picking. And according to this mock draft, Mike Tannenbaum, the New England Patriots will select Tennessee offensive tackle Darnell Wright with the 14th pick. Quote, I was impressed impressed with White's tape. I'm going to start that over. I'm I'm a little parched. Let me get a sip here. Quote, I was impressed with Wright's tape, especially when the six foot five, three hundred and thirty-three pounder faced Will Anderson Jr. and neutralized him in Tennessee's huge win over Alabama. Wright allowed just one sack all season and also excelled during the Senior Bowl week. The Patriots allowed a sack on eight percent of their pass snaps last year, which was third highest mark in the NFL. New England has not been the same on the offensive front, and although it has signed Riley Reef, uh, he is not a long-term answer. The Pats have to do a better job of protecting Mac Jones and Wright would help. It is not a foregone conclusion that Darnell Wright will be a first rounder, but we've seen him in various mock drafts being selected somewhere in the 20s, right? Um, Jacksonville 24th overall has been one that's been that's been pretty, pretty popular. But Darnell Wright 14th overall is a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. Cha-ching! Good for him. Love, would love to see that happen. And we're not done here. Again, the GM mock draft, Mike Tannenbaum, former NFL general manager and vice president of football operations, yada, 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 now an ESPN reporter. You go down to number 25, New York Giants. The New York Giants select Tennessee wide receiver Jalen Hyatt. Wouldn't that be something? Quote, Darius Slayton led Giants receivers with just 724 yards last season. Despite re-signing Slayton and Sterling Shepard and adding a few pass catchers in free agency, it's safe to say the Giants need a standout wide receiver. I love how Hyatt flourished in Tennessee's offense when Josh Heupel stepped in. He is slightly undersized at six foot at six foot 176 pounds, but he has a lot of speed and posted 67 catches for 1,267 yards and 15 touchdowns last season. Hyatt could be the Giants' wide receiver one as soon as the draft card is turned in. Wow. That's some high praise. It really is. Wide receiver one? Jalen Hyatt? How about that? Mike Tannenbaum, all vol here in his latest GM mock draft. That's interesting. 
Hendon Hooker fifth to the Seahawks, Darnell Wright 14th to the Patriots, and Jalen Hyatt 25th to the New York Giants. If that is how it turns out, you best believe you're taking that every single time, right? For sure. All right, that was a whole lot of fun. ESPN also put out a, an interesting article earlier in the week about uh, teams on the brink of breaking through to the college football playoffs. I want to hit on that because Tennessee's mentioned in that column. And also, and maybe I need to wait until after the NFL draft, but i really like to reevaluate Josh Heupel's two years here at Tennessee so far. Uh, wins, losses, bowl games, recruiting, draft picks, it's pretty good. It's what you have to look forward to as Locked On Balls continues. When we come back, my conversation with Josh Ward for a little Ward Wednesday action. Josh, it's an unfortunate way to end the season. Each season's got to end at some point, right? But, um, you know, seeing the path in front of you with FAU, now seeing FAU's in the Final Four, uh, disappointing way to end the season, but going to the Sweet 16 for Tennessee basketball, and now we officially enter off-season mode for Rick Barnes and company. Yeah, uh, it's a season that I think overall was good with the big individual wins and getting to the Sweet 16, which is so difficult to do. And teams who had better regular seasons, many of them struggled to get there or to advance past that point like Tennessee. But it also is a reminder some things need to change. Some things need to be worked on. One from a personnel standpoint, as at least some of the seniors will have to be replaced. We don't know exactly what decisions they will all make. We don't know exactly what Zakai Ziegler's status will be coming back next season from his torn ACL, but we know that he's going to be coming back from a torn ACL. So they need to figure out what they need personnel-wise and what they can change offensively to be better there because the Vols haven't been good enough offensively the last several years. The personnel has changed in that time. The offensive results have not. So they need to make some improvements, but they're trying to make some improvements from a good position. The program is in terrific shape. It is respected nationally. They can win big games. They can beat high-level opponents, and they have the culture that they need. And I think some players to build around to continue to develop. So there are a lot of good things in place right now for Tennessee, but they do need to make some changes, and they need to make some upgrades in certain areas. I think I was listening, maybe maybe it was on Thursday last week. It was one of those days last week, and I think you guys had a call or a text or some, some something, um, you and Swain. And essentially it was, you know, Rick Barnes, if you look historically, some of his best teams, you know, were better offensively than defensively. Um, and so maybe I understand it's always defense first, and that's fine. you got to be a good defensive team. But maybe there should be more importance put on recruiting offensive players. I, I found that kind of interesting, the, the note you guys brought up in your show the other day about yeah. if you go back and look at the Grand Admiral teams, Kevin Durant and so on, it's you know his teams have gone further in the tournament. Yeah, you may be referencing the call where we were just asked, so what's happened? Why don't we see the, the deeper runs in the tournament similar to what Rick Barnes was having at Texas over a certain period of time, because right now we talk about the early exits for Rick Barnes. That wasn't the conversation in the early to mid 2000s when he was at Texas, when he went to a final four and made an elite eight appearance and, and had several sweet 16 runs. But if you look back at those seasons, going back to, I think it's 2001 or 2002 when Ken Pomeroy started to update that information and make it easily accessible online, every sweet 16 and beyond run Rick Barnes offense was ranked ahead of the defense. Since then, at Tennessee, you've seen the defense be ahead of where the offense is ranked, and the team has struggled to go deeper in tournaments. 
the exception would be 2019, that second run by Grant Admiral, the Jordans, Kyle Alexander. In 2019, Eric, the offense was ranked well ahead of what the defense was that year. That's been the exception to Rick Barnes' time at Tennessee. Now, this year, Tennessee did make the Sweet 16 with the, the defense being top two nationally in the offense way, way back. But we still saw the offense end up being a problem to cause elimination against FAU. So if you look at the majority of the big tournament success that Rick Barnes has had, it was with his offense playing at a really high level and his defense often being good enough, but not ranked nearly as high as the offense. And if you look at teams making runs over the last several years in the NCAA tournaments, a lot of the times you'll see teams that are good on defense, but being led by the offense. So part of it is personnel. Part of it might be what do they need to do to be better with the personnel that they have? Because Julian Phillips is an example of a player who was signed to make a big impact on offense. And early in the season, think about that USC game. It looked like he might be able to do that, but it didn't play out that way over the course of the season. Is that Julian Phillips? Is it the offense? My guess is it's a combination of both. But figuring out with the personnel that they have, lineup, structure, all of those things, I think they need an extra playmaker uh, on the perimeter. That's something this offense needs. But they need they need those pieces to then thrive in the offensive structure they create. Tell us about some of this new talent Tennessee's going to get next year. Some of these guys that are coming in for the class of – I guess 2023, um, and of course, Freddie DeLoyne, uh, DeLeon, I believe is how you say his name, and um, he's been here practicing six foot five. He is a shooter, can create a shot, but he, along with some other guys who are going to be joining uh, the program for this upcoming season. Yeah, so Freddie's the guy that we talk about first because one, he's on the team. Two, I think he has that upside and that playmaking ability that Tennessee needs. I, I think you probably saw Tennessee fans on uh, the VolQuest board, and we had people calling and texting and saying, hey, is there a chance he could play to help this team, the team that just ended up? And the, the answer was no, he was not going to play. But he's a, a long athletic guard that he's going to have a chance to help right away. And I think if you can combine him and uh, talking about Freddie DeLeon and uh, Jemai Meshack, who I think has the athleticism and the aggressive nature if he develops this offseason and is a more consistent shooter and playmaker with the ball in his hands, and then you get Zakai back now late in the season, because that's really what we're projecting toward, you might have more playmakers like I'm talking about on the perimeter. If you can get a transfer to come in and help with that, then, um, then I, you know, I think you can be really good in that aspect from an athleticism and playmaking standpoint, because uh, Vescovy was a really good player, all SEC player, but not an athletic playmaker. Tyreek Key was not an athletic playmaker coming in as a transfer. Josiah a little bit, but maybe not to the level that they needed. That can change next season. Uh, J.P. Estrella is a, a 6'11 guy who can shoot from the outside. Something else they've needed. Now, what's his impact? I don't, I don't know immediately. But, Eric, they need a stretch big, somebody that can be a legitimate threat shooting from the outside. Olivier Kamwa could be that at times, but he wasn't consistent enough. Earlier in the season, I thought maybe Jonas Adu is – developing into to that well it didn't play out that way over the course of the next season maybe he is next season but uh that's where the conversation i think would start cameron carr a part of the class but estrella i think has created a lot of buzz with what his skill set is uh as a as a big man and then freddie's going to play a big role potentially start right away for tennessee and then you look at the transfer portal i feel like tennessee has got to go get one a shooter and two a point guard right 
Yes, uh, Tennessee needs consistent shooting. Now, I think the thought was that Tyreek Key could provide that, and uh, that wasn't there consistently. He had some big games. Do you think about that game against Missouri at home? The story coming out of it should have been how great Tyreek Key was in the yeah. second half to come back and beat a team that was good enough to go to the NCAA tournament, but they hit the buzzer beater, and that's no longer the storyline. He had some games late where he provided some good offensive production, but they need a good shooter who they can still count on on the defensive end, the 3 and D type player as is often described. Uh, and, you know, with that, they need somebody that that they're going to allow to shoot and to play confidently. Think about a year ago when Powell came in as a transfer, Justin Powell from Auburn, he was a good shooter and good scorer, didn't play a lot because there were defensive concerns. Well, he transferred out and put up some pretty good numbers shooting again at Washington State. The outlier would be his season at Tennessee. They need that. And then uh, point guard, uh, there was a player from St. Louis that Tennessee was linked to last offseason, didn't work out. He would have been a great player to add to this team to not only help Zakai Ziegler, but you know they, they probably could have played well together at times in the court. So, yeah, when I talk about playmaking, that point guard position has to be that. What is the situation for B.J. Edwards? It didn't work out, so you know, counting on him to be that guy would – Feel like a stretch right now and that you know that's part of the miss this past season they evaluated bj as i think a guy that could come in and help immediately from catholic and knoxville catholic and uh, obviously the staff did not trust him to be that as the season played out last thing josh we're a week and a couple of practices into spring practice uh, for tennessee football what are some of your big takeaways and knowing we don't know an awful lot right now but uh looking ahead to this week on saturday scrimmage number one a spring is coming and uh, hopefully we'll know a whole lot more from there. But what, what are some of your big takeaways here to begin things for Tennessee spring practice? Yeah, so number one uh, from the most popular topic being quarterback, I kind of take away that Joe Milton is clearly QB1, which I don't think anybody covering the team is disputing, but he's clearly QB1 with Nico settling into that second quarterback role, and they're the only two scholarship quarterbacks. Nico has a lot to learn, but he is willing to do that. And – Maybe part of this is just me believing everything that's being said, but I, I am doing that in that Joe will help Nico while Nico recognizes that Joe is the guy at quarterback. So while the the national perspective might be a, a real quarterback controversy and competition right now, I don't think it is that. Maybe that changes in the future, but right now Joe is the guy and Nico is trying to learn and I think is putting in the time, the hours to try to get ready if he has needed some time this season, even Nico referenced himself as being the Joe to Joe being Hinden from a yep. year ago. I think that's believable. The other thing would be that hype around the newcomers is more than just hype. I think the transfers will play an important role at a number of different positions. And at least a couple of the young guys will be able to help immediately. Uh, I, I, I think what you wrote about Arian Carter with his interception last week against Joe Milton kind of shows that maybe he's ahead of where you expect a freshman coming in at that position. The the freshmen in the defensive backfield at least have to push the older guys to make them better. If older guys play just because they have to play, then that that has to be wrong. Uh, they, they have to play because they've beaten out younger guys who have come in talented, athletic, ready to get on the field, at least in their own mind. So uh, then on the offensive side, we we can see a guy or two that will have a chance. I mean, I'm curious to see how things play out for Cameron Selden and in, in what his role is. So we always have to be careful about hyping freshmen up too much. But I think that there are at least a couple of guys in this class to go along with the transfers who will make Tennessee a legitimately deeper team in the fall. 
Josh Ward co-hosts Josh and Swain, 99.1 The Sports Animal, noon to 3 every day. What is coming up uh, the rest of the week on the show? And, of course, the newsletter every Friday. Uh, you send it out. You can subscribe by checking out uh, the show details. Subscribe to that. It's every Friday morning about 8.30 is when you send that out. Yeah, I uh, appreciate that. Every Friday it goes out, and it's, uh, it's quick, concise, won't flood your inbox. It's just once a week. But we've got good feedback the last several weeks, which I appreciate. So joshandswain.com and the link's in the notes if you would like to subscribe to that for free and then on the show you know, more football talk coming up unfortunately Tennessee is not in the final four to talk about this week we are covering what needs to happen this offseason but uh, with the regular season tournament being over for Tennessee more football talk plus a look ahead to a big baseball weekend Josh Ward every Wednesday right here on Locked on Balls appreciate it man thanks Eric awesome stuff there from Josh Ward every single Wednesday right here on Locked on Balls Ward Wednesday with former Locked On Balls host and, of course, 99.1 The Sports Animal, Josh and Swain. That is Josh Ward. Hey, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Wednesday's edition of the show. Hope you enjoyed my conversations with Matt Ray, VolQuest.com on Tennessee recruiting, Josh Ward of The Sports Animal on everything Tennessee, and, of course, uh, we dove into a little bit of a mock draft from ESPN here from earlier in the week. A lot of ball flavor in that mock draft. We'll see how it play, pans out. Uh, make Locked On College Basketball your second listen here today. Final Four is coming up this weekend. I know the balls aren't in there, but still a whole lot of fun to get into with the mo- or with uh, with the Final Four coming up. So that's Locked On College Basketball. Make that your second listen right behind Locked On Balls. Hey guys, appreciate you as always. Please rate me five stars. Leave me a positive review. Subscribe to the Locked On Balls YouTube channel. And uh, hey, how about we try it again tomorrow? This is Locked On Balls.